You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And in honor of our 666th episode, and you know what 666 stands for, we are taking a break from our usual uh, shows and we are going to be taking a look at a single one-off episode of The X-Files. We're going to be looking at Season 2, Episode 14, Die Hand, Die Berlitz. Uh We'll just start with saying, you know, this this particular episode may bring up some topics with regards to the subject of religion, and it would only be fair to warn you in advance that these are just the opinions of two people who happen to be atheists. Your mileage may vary on some of these observations, but let's start with an episode synopsis. In Milford Haven, New Hampshire, the Crowley High School Parent-Teacher Committee discusses the typical issues confronting a small-town high school in a conservative town. And then they end their closed-door meeting with a prayer to Azazel and the Lords of Darkness. Elsewhere in the forest, four teenagers are up to no good. The two boys, Dave and Jerry, hope to quite literally scare the pants off the two girls. Leading the girls to a supposed black magic altar in the forest, they proceed with a ritual to call forth Azazel, with surprising results. First, evil Latin chanting can be heard. Then hordes of rats swarm them. Andrea runs in terror, reciting the Hail Mary prayer. Jerry runs after her into the night, but soon he is cut off by a wall of flame, and then a hand grabs him by the neck. Soon, FBI agents Mulder and Scully have been called in by the local police. The sheriff explains there's lots of rumors in this town about satanic worshippers, and the boy was found near a tree stump supposedly used as an altar. The boy had also been laid out in a ritual fashion, with his heart and eyes removed. Scully is, of course, skeptical of satanic cults, and Mulder doesn't give it much credence either until the sheriff leaves, and then he admits he downplayed it because the sheriff was already spooked enough. When Scully poo-poos the whole idea, frogs begin raining from the sky. The investigation leads them to the high school where they track down Dave. He admits that he and Jerry are trying to use the idea of a satanic ritual of which they know nothing to scare the girls, but he insists they called something forth and he is scared. Scully continues to poo-poo the whole idea, but Mulder points out that, impossibly, the water in the drinking fountain is draining anti-clockwise, something that shouldn't be possible in the Northern Hemisphere. The school science teacher is out sick with a flesh-eating virus, and a substitute teacher, Mrs. Paddock, has taken his place. She has heard about the kerfluffle last night and offers a sympathetic ear to the two girls, Shannon and Andrea. It is revealed to the reviewers that Jerry's heart and eyes are in her desk drawer. While all this is happening, the members of the PTC are in a bit of a state. Did one of them kill Jerry and leave his body in the ritual presentation for Azazel? None of them will admit it, and they posit the idea that their faith hasn't been as devout as it should be lately. It's possible that this is a sign. Mrs. Paddock has her class dissecting hogs. 
During the dissection, Shannon has a vision that the pig is still alive and freaks out. She's remembering things and tells Mulder and Scully about memories that she's recovering, about being sexually and ritually abused her whole life by her stepfather, Jim. Jim is the head of the PTC, and when confronted with the allegations, denies them strenuously. He claims these ideas are somehow being put into her head. Later, Shannon is taking the makeup dissection exam on her own, and Mrs. Paddock gets hold of her jewelry. Using sympathetic magic, she uses the jewelry to cause Shannon to slit her wrists, killing her. Jim is upset and confronts the other members of the PTC. The school psychiatrist, another member, points out how lax they've been in their devotions and sacrifices and believes this is a sign to redouble their faith. It also gives them the opportunity to blame Jerry's murder on Shannon. Mulder searches Jim's house, thinking he's out, but he is not. He confronts Mulder in the basement and confesses. He confesses that he and generations before him have been worshippers of Azazel and the Lords of Darkness, and they did perform rituals on the children, but nothing sexual or permanently damaging. Most importantly, he's willing to name the others and needs Mulder to understand something else is doing the killing. Mrs. Paddock uses her powers to fake a call from Scully to Mulder. Scully is apparently in trouble. Mulder arrests Jim and handcuffs him in the basement. He rushes to school. While on his way, the school boa constrictor devours Jim. When Mulder discovers Scully is safe and did not call him, he realizes it was a distraction. They rush to Jim's house, but find only his skeleton and traces of a snake. Scully remembers such a snake at school, and they rush back. The three remaining members of the PTC, learning of Jim's death and fearful for their own lives, resolve to make the necessary devotions by sacrificing Mulder and Scully. When Mulder and Scully arrive back at the school, they find Mrs. Paddock beaten up and claiming she found out things about the others. She sends them to the conference room, where they find Jerry's eyes. They are attacked, beaten, and imprisoned by the PTC. They are dragged to the gym showers to be killed. As they are about to kill them, the psychiatrist, under a spell by Mrs. Paddock, kills the other two PTC members and then himself, leaving Molly and Skulder soggy but unharmed. Realizing it has to be Mrs. Paddock, they rush back to her class, only to find her gone and a note on the blackboard saying, Goodbye, it's been nice working with you. As if on cue, the electrical power, which has been out all night, comes back on. Okay, well, thy hand are her lips, and I guess by extension we should take this opportunity to talk maybe a little bit about the X-Files, and uh, since it's not a show we're likely to do <laughs> on the podcast. So, what are your, what are your initial thoughts? Well, I mean, it's it's the first time we've talked about no. Well, it's it's not the first time we've talked about the X Files. It's the first time we've talked about an episode of the X Files. The X Files has come up incidentally when we've talked about a number of other things, probably particularly Kolchak. And um, so, just yeah, well, from from the kind of point of view of the what the X Files means to me, particularly for listeners who haven't heard those kind of previous discussions this is but i also think it i think it kind of maybe sets the the context of what kind of a show it is or what kind of a sign what kind of significance it has this is this is a show that i watched back before fusion patrol before i you know i think you have a lot to do with this but before i became 
interested in science fiction as science fiction. And I think, in fact, science fiction as a genre was probably one of those things that put me off. And The X-Files was a breakthrough in terms of that. It was the kind of show that not just me, I think people watched and people talked about who weren't sci-fi fans. And it, it, it was on at a time when actually sci-fi, I think, was relatively unfashionable. Yeah. So, I, you know, I have, I have incredibly fond memories of watching The X-Files. And I think, I think there are all sorts of reasons why it's such a successful show, not least of which is the, the fact that it doesn't really confine itself as a genre show. I mean, we are talking about it because it's sci-fi. I think it probably sold itself to the networks and maybe helped to break through because it's a police procedural. Right? They're working for the FBI. Mm-hmm. The reality is it's actually horror, probably the genre that I have least interest in and yet the x-files kind of transcends all that i think i think the x-files can be many genres i mean i think the the alien conspiracy stuff sure science fiction but this is this is horror you know this is this is pure fantastic fantasy horror kind of thing we could argue that all alien visitations on earth have to be by definition fantasy because of the physics involved but you know, yeah. that the, the realm of aliens from another planet generally falls into, okay, science fiction, devils and demons, fantasy horror. It, it you know, but X-Files could span them all, plus the police procedural, plus they had, you know, they had the Mully Skulder thing, Mully Skulder, Scully Mulder <laughs> thing. And um, yeah, yeah. I think that's their, I think that's their slash name, isn't it? Mully Skulder? I, I don't know. But um, obviously... For this podcast and for for my lifelong obsession, uh, you know, when an episode of Doctor Who comes out, I watch it. Okay. Um, but The X-Files is the last show I can actually remember always being there in front of the TV when it aired. That That is the last show that I never would miss, that it was an event and, and go to this. And it was like that for a lot of people. Now... I do that now for Strange New Worlds, perhaps for similar reasons, but but really X Files kind of had that place. It, it was it, it was an excellent show. Um, it has a lot to answer for <laughs> in this world that has caused so much so much backsliding for people believing this stuff that seems to be tied. You know, was the X Files riding the wave, or was the X Files causing the wave? That, that I don't know. But it, it feels like the X Files really brought all this stuff into pop. The conspiracies, the, the the just all that stuff to the fore, um, and got a lot of people thinking about it that maybe shouldn't have been thinking about some of these things. But yeah, I should point out there's a couple other reasons why we picked this particular episode, and while I'm thinking about it. Uh, this is the last episode that Glenn Morgan and James Wong wrote for the series as of this point, because <laughs> they did come back later on <laughs> and do stuff. But they left the show seemingly permanently because they were going to go off and create uh, and run this other fabulous show that was going to run for five years called, uh, let's see, Space Above and Beyond. Uh, well, 
and that may not have worked out for them the way they thought, but because we are currently doing space above and beyond, this is, and, and perhaps a little bit critically, some of the work that they've done. So I wanted to come back to some of the things that they were a little bit known for to say, are they really that bad? And, you know, I, I'm going to say no, but <laughs> so this episode, but also, you know, it, it just, it, it's all the timing of it. The 666 thing, the, 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 we're doing space above and beyond. These guys are leaving. I wanted to tap into it. So that's, that's really what we're, uh, the coincidence, not because we're trying to call forth a Zazzle, uh, or anything like that. <laughs> I, I just mentioned that it's much less significant, but I think it's also the first episode that is directed by Kim Manners, who it is. Yes. Directed a lot of the, and I think the film, or was that Rob Bowman? Anyway, I, I, I know don't that know Kim Manners. No, I think it might have been Rob Bowman actually. Now, now I think about it, but the the yeah, it, it it's. I mean, to yeah, to 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 me, I guess it's um, it's got so it's got a lot of the kind of it's not it's certainly not my favourite episode of all time, um, and it's not not the worst. I think it has a lot of the kind of hallmark of um, what makes the X Files the X Files, which is a, makes it a kind of good one to pick, and specifically on that point about believing in the the conspiracy theories and everything i think you know you see that really kind of straight away after the credits where mulder and scully have been brought in because of the nature of the crime and there there's there's that fabulous turnaround that you alluded to in your synopsis where the sheriff is is kind of mentioning all of these conspiracy theories and Mulder holds back on it not to get him overexcited even though Scully knows that he's he'll be able to yes his perspective is going to be even more far out well yeah exactly and so the 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 kind of interesting dynamic about that is that obviously you've got the kind of typical yokels in a lot of these episodes you know they're federal so you get to travel about all over the place and often they're in these kinds of small town settings where people have these, you know, air quotes, backwards beliefs. I don't know why I did the air quotes. Actually, they are backwards beliefs. But the, <laughs> the, the, the kind of usual thing about that would be that you would have these kind of well-educated metropolitan types coming in and kind of taking a a wry view of all of that but of course what we've actually got set up here is that the educated viewpoint is that these things are not crazy things and most people are too blinkered or whatever too 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 kind of narrow in their viewpoint to realize all of the kind of strange and supernatural things that go on (laughs) You you are going to hold the hold the show responsible for a lot of stuff that's happened since. You raised that question about whether it's kind of riding a wave. I think in some sense it is having fun with because it you know if you you can read the fourteen times for oh yeah your amusement. I mean it's a hoot. It's an absolute hoot, and so is everything that happens in the X Files. And you know my favourite X Files episode is typically you know around about season six when it really does go after the laughs quite often but 
there is a sense in which Mulder's viewpoint, the I want to believe, I don't think the show ever commits to it. It, it, In a way, it's a bit like Conan Doyle, who did believe in the supernatural, writing a character who's totally rational in Sherlock Holmes. I'm, I'm assuming Chris Carter himself was not a believer in aliens and all the rest of it. But there is something quite romanticised about Mulder's quest and his belief. And obviously within the world of the show, they, you know, they've set something up, okay, a little bit to maybe use it and maybe to poke fun at it around the idea that all of these things can be real. But it's still done with sympathy and, I guess, affection. And so I think it that did lead a lot of people to kind of believe or to feel it was okay to believe in the conspiracies. And all that's kind of fine when it's the 90s and, you know, it's a period of enlightenment. But I don't know whether you'd do it now in an age of misinformation because well, that so, kind of thing is not so romantic anymore. You know, okay, so you could argue that they are they are using these things and, and perhaps even go so far as, say, poking fun at them uh, I, I saw somebody online who said this was like the first comedy episode of the X-Files. I'm like, didn't see that. Did not interpret this as a comedy episode in any way, shape, or form. There's funny in it. It is funny. But there's yeah. there's funny in lots of episodes. But this is not this is not um, the episode with Charles Nelson Riley. You know, that's a funny episode of the X-Files. And this one is just, I don't know. But I think, you know, Back in 1995, when in this episode, we quite literally see Scully working on the internet in green screen. Yeah. Right. That you are surfacing ideas that people may have never heard of to a popular audience, to a mass audience. It's like maybe maybe you've never heard of of, you know, this conspiracy, that conspiracy, the other conspiracy or the aliens. And then you go find a book by David Icke and you <laughs> go off the deep end and and lose your mind. And it, it it's, you know, books on David Icke start selling. I remember, I remember they used to have a section that I think in the bookstore that said, if you like the X-Files, and then it was it was the Nutter books. It was the that David Icke telephone books that he used to write and and all of those things, which they used to call the paranormal section. And it still was, but, you know, they had the. They had like the thing because they're trying to sell the books. And I was like, how many people, how many people saw that walked over and go, oh my gosh, I who knew about the Majestic 12, you know, (laughs) just so that in that respect, I, I, I have a feeling that whether or not it was writing it or whether or not it was certainly amplifying the wave, if not, if not, uh, yeah, causing causing a lot of the people who believe in ghosts increased dramatically during that period of time. So now one thing I want to say, and this, you know, I guess this could go back to another reason why I picked this episode. One, it's not a mythos episode. So X-Files balances between those, that long-term alien conspiracy mythos that they had, and then the so-called monster of the week episode. The monster, this is this falls into that latter category. I would argue that this episode 
is Kolchak the Night Stalker done right? As as are many yep. of the, you know, this is what that show could have been. The 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 demon is real. Our heroes uh, didn't exactly vanquish it, but you know, it it the problem is solved by the end of the episode. They didn't have to yell at the cops. They didn't have to yell at the editor. They you know can go where the action <laughs> is instead of being stuck in Chicago. They have some authority, but you know the whole show. So you know whenever. Whenever we talked about Kolchak, you know, I did mention Chris Carter absolutely positively credits this. And there is an episode in the revival series of X-Files, something about the werewolf, we're being, whatever, you know, he is wearing Kolchak's clothes in that episode. You know, I mean, it it is so obviously this is sick. But I feel like you watch Kolchak the Night Stalker and, and you which I have very fond memories of, and I know you went through it, you were very critical of it, and rightly so, because there are lots and lots of problems with Golchak. And if you sat down, I think if you sat down and went through our podcast and wrote down those problems and said, how do I fix this? You're going to hit on something much closer to this. I think that's, you know, learn from other people's mistakes. Well, yeah. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, I, I think, I think, there are many. There are many ways you could have yes. fixed the problems of Kolchak. This is, this is just one of them, and it is one writer's interpretation. Me, yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, it is on a it is on a different level, and I I I think they're they're whatever it is twenty years apart. So there are probably other, you know, other benefits that Chris Carter had mm-hmm. because of you know, the expectations around television then or whatever. And one of the, one of the strengths, I mean, the, one of the things you mentioned, so that the being able to completely separate, separate out the monster of the week from a, what at times was quite compelling kind of conspiracy arc, but it, it, it meant that I think there's a strength where in the conspiracy arcs, you've got quite a lot of recurring characters, quite a lot of people who you sort of need to keep track of what they've done, what they know about, what their motives are, and all those kind of things. In the standalone episodes, however, there are two regular cast members, and they carry all of the all of the kind of continuity, if you like. It's just, it's got Mulder and Scully in it, and mm-hmm. in a way that you know that has much more to do with the Avengers or whatever. So, in Kolchak, where you have this kind of ensemble, it's rather irritating ensemble um, with you know the the newsroom yeah. and the the newsroom. Yeah, the, the his various colleagues or whatever. And the, each each week they've got to be given something to do. You don't have that. This is this is entirely just driven by. Mulder and Scully, and I guess some of the monsters of the week they they had Skinner in, but you know it was it fundamentally when it comes down to it, it is focused on those two characters, which are number one great characters, and number two, I just I I I think that the leads David Duchovny, Julian Anderson, they they are they're brilliant. They're just brilliant, and mm-hmm. they had they you know they work excellently together. But it but it but it is partly it is partly the writing as well because I think that 
the relationship they have, you compare it with, to Kolchak with anyone in those episodes, the, there, there is friction, right, in the X-Files. But you see, I mean, you, and you see it in this, you know, Scully's a bit, you know, you're, you're going to come up with some nonsense conspiracy or whatever. But it doesn't manifest itself in the kind of emotional fireworks that you might see elsewhere. There is a there is a, a respect, a mutual admiration between them. They're they, on the same team. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. starters. And, they they and, are and working that, that's, to the same goal. Yeah. And that and that's very much more satisfying to watch, but it's also much less kind of tiring and makes a lot more sense in terms of their like why are they why would they even work together if they didn't have that that because you know you could you could sustain you could sustain maybe a much more antagonistic relationship for one season but it'd be pretty pretty hard to keep it going for 11 or however many the show yeah has had now well it doesn't have 11 with Mulder and Scully it's seven with Mulder and Scully then plus a few later on I, and I don't want to. I don't want to sound like I was trying to say that Chris Carter was attempting to recreate or ape or, you know, no. Do you call it? Chris Carter achieved this show because Chris Carter had a great idea, you know, oh, yeah. and and he he realized this show extremely well. I think you know when you're doing that. If you are thinking in terms of the monster of the week, like Kolchak, you know, he is, he has a put his, perhaps put his brain to it and done a brilliant job of coming up with his own, his own idea in the same vein. I, I like, I, you know, hate though I hate to say it because I do dearly love Kolchak, um, flawed though it is, the X-Files is superior to it in pretty much every way. And the only thing that I could say that Kolchak, you know, had that the X-Files doesn't is Darren McGavin. And even that's not true. So, you know, he was, when, until I guess he died, he was the, the first originator of the X-Files in the series. So, Agent Dale or something like that? I can't remember his name. But, yeah, so they, they had it all. Anything else on the, the series as a whole? We can... And, bow into this episode otherwise i yeah i mean i'm not i uh i I, that's probably that's probably enough scene setting from me i could talk about the x-files and uh in detail for a considerable amount of time but uh i guess we ought to talk about the episode itself (laughs) so rather famously um you know writers get their inspiration from all sorts of different places rather famously this episode was written around the original idea of a man being eaten by a snake and then everything else was built to support that that sequence and i will say they did a darn fine job of not making that obvious yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't know that you would know that you that. would never know that yeah but that is that is what the first inspiration for this is we got to do an episode where a guy is eaten by a snake okay and then they they built this around it which i think is fabulously well done because sometimes you can tell when they have one idea and they're building to that one idea but in this case no you can't tell you can't tell i <laughs> the reason i put the 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 uh warning up front is because this like many episodes of the x-files 
sort of, in a weird, twisted way, treats the world as if religion was actually real, or the myths of religion were actually real. Um, and I'm, and I'm going to say that they're not. Right? You see the ghosts. Ghosts aren't there. Scully's faith in God is misplaced, <laughs> and Satan and Azazel don't exist, except they do in this in this episode. And so uh, it, it's a it's an interesting way to take what we in not we as in you and I, Simon, but but the world in general treats the myths of religion as if they are real. But frankly, most of those people don't treat the idea of the whole Satan-y thing as as real. A lot of them don't. They don't buy that. And here we are given the opportunity to look at a group of what we should consider misguided people who have been using religion as a, a community thing, as a, as a thing to bind them together, as a thing to, you know, just do the things that people get out of being part of a religion and then finding out that, oh, it, it wasn't, you know, deep in my mind, I didn't really believe and what the, 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 the consequences are. And it, it, you know, makes me think of all the people who are Christians who hold that the Bible or again, this is why I wanted to classify, clarify this as an atheist speaking. Some of them believe that the Bible is an inerrant word of God and that it is can't be wrong. Everything in it is the absolute truth. And others believe, you know, it's it's a, a metaphor, um, you know, or it's an allegory, uh, you know, and, and bits of it are true. But now they didn't really create the earth in seven days or six days. And yay, you know, Um you know, there are so many sects and there are so many variations and there are so many people that practice so much this way and do things. My grandparents were Baptists and uh, I was told, I don't know, I wasn't around at the time, that they changed their denomination in the town they lived in. They changed from one denomination church to another denomination church because they didn't, they frowned upon singing in the one they were in and they liked to sing in church. And I, well, I heard that was one of the many data points in my mind as a kid of like, really, that's, that's how you decide what you believe to be true and how you're supposed to do your rituals and stuff when they're supposed to be handed down. It's like, yeah, this is nonsense. And, <laughs> but they didn't see it that way. They just thought, well, you know, I mean, we all, it's all the same goal. We all believe in the same God. It's just, we do it differently. It's like, these guys are, these guys do this, but they're not doing it right. And, you know, they're not following the rituals and they're not, and they get, they get burned. I, I see this as a, I see this episode as a sarcastic, scathing indictment of religion in general. It just, it is to me. I, I can't, I, I can't watch this and not think they're just, they're just making fun now. They're just poking them in the nose. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's kind of head on. I, I mean, I can, I can see there are going to be people who are going to fight this offensive but then oh yeah you know no no matter what you pick you probably find people who are going to find it offensive i think that one of the one of the things it's kind of unpicking a little bit is the way is is the it's the sort of and i and i guess in the us this is 
uh, unofficial, but the establishment of religion. So, at, at a, as in at a governmental level, you have ch- separation of church and state. But you, yeah, you, you know, in in terms of the the kind of social fabric and the the way in which the kind of local institutions of society operate, that initial discussion of the the parent teacher committee around you know Jesus Christ superstar or whatever was it's hilarious exactly send yeah sending up the way in which the 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 the, the, the all of those kind of religious set sensibilities inform day you know day-to-day decisions about the way that things are managed like you know what's the school play going to be and all and all this kind of thing and then you know you it just it turns around with that reveal and it's and it's wonderful and it and it it you know it kind of makes the point about how almost sort of mundane these religious practices are or day-to-day yeah i get i mean mon- yeah mundane i'm not going to withdraw that can it's, we skip but, 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 the but games the, on yeah i mean exactly there's that exactly. line it's like yeah 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 but so so very day very day-to-day but then of course it's it spins it around in terms of what i think even if you're not religious even if you're not offended by it is quite a kind of shocking reveal and i think part of the intention of that is to sort of say hang on a minute these these the, these kind of daily rituals these things that weave religion into every part of your life including you know the the things you like about your religious practice the fact that you go and sing in church it it's actually connected with something that is it, it's it's exactly the opposite of being completely mundane and if you weren't kind of inured to some of this stuff by its familiarity i think you would you would be thinking whoa what you know i when i read the bible i kind of think whoa what yeah some of it is exactly. pretty out there mm-hmm. I you know uh, I don't know how this was in the UK, but you know Jesus Christ Superstar was quite denounced by uh, any number of religious groups because you know it it's I don't know I've seen it I think Jesus comes off as a feckless loser and so <laughs> I can see how they might be upset by that through most of the thing you're kind of going like. Those Judas guys kind of got the right idea, doesn't he? I mean, he he just wants to help more people. He wants to carry the word and do what they say they're doing, not just, you know, goes astray, but uh, they're towards the end. <laughs> but, you know, I, so I could definitely see how you would, how, you know, watching this in in rural America when this comes out, they're talking about, oh, come on, Jesus Christ, superstar. And they're all probably going, oh, no, oh, yeah, no, that's, you know, that's not celebrating Jesus the way they should be celebrating Jesus. And and then to flip that around and find that we're doing this because, you know, Jesus is not what we stand for in this school is it's it's just it's perfect. It's, 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 it's as perfect an opening scene as I can recall in an episode of the X-Files. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just, no, it is spot on. So, uh, you get everything you need to know in that opening sequence. You know, we just haven't been doing our stuff. We are, and school board meetings, city council meetings, 
um, uh, all, all government meetings in the United States all over this country are opened with a prayer. Right. You know, screw your separation of church and state. We're going to open with a prayer because we're in charge of the city council and we're going to do this. And, you know, the, the, the satanic temple, which is, did not exist when this episode is, is an organization <laughs> that sets themselves up as a religion so that they can force their way in because of this, uh, you know, like, oh, well, we're not enforcing uh, religion. We allow any religious group to say the opening prayer. We, you know, it's just not a Christian thing. It's, I would argue that it's just still a stupid waste of time. And it establishes that as a school board, you're ignorant. But, you know, places like the Satanic Temple get in there and give a, a prayer to Satan. And then they ban them because, oh, we're not really open to any religions. We're just only open to the religions that were, you know, or making fun of us. So, I, I, I mean, I think I think that this is this is the where where it's kind of pointing at. It, it's I, I don't know I don't know whether anyone anyone who held these views would have been remotely convinced by it. But the, but what what you're getting there is absolutely the experience that someone would be, be, because because what you're getting is something that is shocking or something that it doesn't you know doesn't connect to your beliefs it contradicts your belief or it or it um it's the antithesis of your beliefs and so what you know what you've just described is people who are not really considering they they say oh yeah you know we have a we have a prayer but you don't have to participate in in it or whatever but they're not they're not in any sense really empathizing with how that feels for people who no. have different beliefs or indeed who who don't believe and yeah and like you say the fact that you know they they will ban it or whatever, it's it it's absolutely a nonsense and i think this this opening just absolutely makes that point perfectly um they don't actually call uh the uh, the being here satan in this episode i don't know if that was them just uh sort of trying to play it a little safe. Um, this is Azazel, who, depending on where you look in the Bible or in uh, Paradise Lost or a uh, uh, number of places where he appears, is uh, one of the fallen angels, standard bearer for Satan in Paradise Lost, uh, possibly one of the fathers of the Nephilim, which is a, a race of beings in the Bible. Um, so they've they've kind of They've got to play a little, just a little low key. <laughs> Maybe not bring out the I big think, guy himself, but it's... yeah. But I think I think it's more effective for that. It's a better name too, Sozzle. If, well, yeah. <laughs> but it, it is. It's literally the kind of thing in this country that could be the difference between your episode airing in Alabama or not. <laughs> now that's that's stupid but true. <laughs> it's like he's an absolute. One on one to one metaphor for Satan in this episode. Well, we're not going to call him that so that we can, uh, you know, get by the get by the locals. <laughs> I, I, I would be I'd be wet, willing to bet that that affected that a decision um, in this. But uh, and I'd forgotten that. Now my memory of this is that it was Satan himself. 
from that. That is what I take from it. That's from what I remember from it. It's the big guy or, you know, maybe Mrs. Paddock is the big guy's uh, enforcer. But, you know, that's that who it was. But to, to me, it's like, oh, it's Azazel and the Lords of Darkness. Okay. Which sounds like a great name for a band. Just a mega death metal <laughs> band. Yeah. Um, Crowley High School, named after Aleister Crowley. Uh, who's that? Aleister Crowley is one of the most famous. Um, he, he uh, uh, <laughs> I don't want to call him a Satanist because it's not exactly, I don't think that's exactly right. He, he developed the dilemma. Uh, it's spiritualistic. He, he liked, he is the one that came up with the phrase, do what thou wilt as, as their philosophy for this. Um, he's an interesting character. He's British, of course. Um, (laughs) as they were in the 18 and the 19th century. So, and they do reference the do what thou wilt in the episode when Jim's talking about the, the, the different philosophies. I, um, is there a connection with Good Omens? Oh yeah, of course. Crowley is always right. Crowley. anybody's Alistair. The name Crowley. You're, you're talking to Crowley. Yeah. The only other big one you get is Anton Lavey. Uh, is also a, another one, and that is the founder of the Church of Satan. But uh, uh, Crowley was. I, so, uh, personal backstory here. As I said I, I was I was raised by my grandparents. They were Baptists. My dad was an atheist, um, but my dad stayed out of that. He didn't, he didn't, he neither encouraged nor discouraged any of it. I just kind of ran that path on my own. And I lived in some very religious places. It, when I lived in Oracle, it was 100% believers in that town. Um, and, and, you know, church going believers, not just believers, but we're going to church on Sunday. And I, you know, they never convinced me. <laughs> And by the time I got to high school, though, I got this little, I had a crisis of non-faith, to be fair. I kind of like, it's like, how, how am I surrounded by all these people, some of whom I don't think are idiots, you know, and yet, you know, outside the confines of me and my dad, uh, you know, they're all, they're all my family believers. I, I remember once. I remember once I was at my great uncle's house and there was a documentary on chimpanzees and my great aunt said, Oh, it's amazing how much they look like us. And I said, well, we did evolve from a common ancestor. I was about 10 or 12. I thought they were going to kick me out of the house. Her her expression was as shocked as you can. It was like, my Lord. Anyway, I had this, this crisis of faith in high school. And so I decided, well, I might as well go. And I read them all Bible, the, the, the Torah bits, the, the, um, can't even remember the names of all, but not just, not just Christians, Jewish, uh, Muslim, uh, Indian, uh, you know, anything I could get on any religious mythology that there was, it went from one end to the other. And as, um, Penn and Teller have frequently said, you know, the, the best way to make an atheist is to have you read the Bible. <laughs> it's true. Read them all. They'll, you, they will abuse you and, and actually comprehend what they're saying. And you should come out of that going, yeah, this is all absolute, absolute nonsense. Now, here's the, the weird part. I also went ahead and tried to read 
this stuff for like the Crowley's stuff and and whatnot. And and I can't believe I'm going to say this because I don't believe in the religious side of it. Right? I look at it and I go, that is myth and that is that is nonsense. But it's it's serious nonsense. Now, that's an odd phrase, but okay, it's serious nonsense. People really believe this. People really are vested in their worldview based on this. I think that religions are an organization of fascism, that they are a way to control people through myth and tales and trying to or- organize groups into, into cliques to accomplish things, which that in itself is not a bad thing necessarily, communities, but you know, it, it is a, it's a power base. But when I looked at the people who are doing the stuff that they would kind of typically be considered Satanism, I'm looking at it like, they're just, they're just doing this so they can do drugs and sex and rock and roll. It's not serious. It's a, how do I, how do I achieve whatever I want to do and say, it's my worldview. <laughs> and so I only skimmed them because they were just so ridiculously, transparently self-indulgent. As opposed to here, I'm trying to build something and forge a group of people into my way of thinking. This was, I'm just trying to justify my way of thinking. So, yeah. Um, But, so it is, I'm thinking that when he gets to this part and he's talking about do what thou wilt, it's like, yeah, that's it. That is the philosophy. I want to do these things and that's what the higher powers want me to do. So I will. Anyway, let's see. Dialogue intentionally calls out the Wiccans and the Church of Satan. I thought that was kind of also interesting because I think they were trying to say, this group is not Wiccans. This group is not the Church of Satan, which the Church of Satan was also was created by Anton LaVey and basically was also a way for him to do sex, drugs and rock and roll. (laughs) Um, and I couldn't find anything from a cursory glance that said they ever advocated torture or sacrifice or violence. I, I I couldn't find it. They were another group of people who wanted to have sex with as many people as they possibly could while on drugs. But, you know, these are not them. Maybe they would have sued. I don't know. Maybe the Wiccans of the Church of Satan might have sued the X-Files if they had implied that they were uh, behind this group of of killers. Oh, yeah, I would say that though the one thing that is the scariest and the closest thing to what I would consider satanic in all the world is Anton LaVey's description of what um, the Church of Satan is. He is quoted as saying, it is Ayn Rand's philosophy with ceremony and ritual added. And that's as close to satanic thing as I can think of <laughs> in this world. <sighs> uh, let's see. What else? What have you got? Well, I'm going through my notes here. Um, well, the little aside on on it being a, a fictional uh, sect is Milford Haven, New Hampshire. That that turns out to be a fictional place. The only reason yes. I looked it up is that I live near a, an actually real Milford Haven. It was a bit strange. Really? But, oh yeah. Okay. And as as with a great many places in your wonderful country. You have just ripped off the name of a place in our country, so it's sometimes we put new in front it's of kind it. Kind of credible, yeah. New Milford Haven would have been maybe even more, but um, yeah, 
they uh you know and it, it is sort of significant that it is in uh new hampshire it's in the northeast northeast is where you know the most original puritan influence is was it? in this country um when when jim is talking about how his ancestors fleed for religious fleed religious persecution it's always another one that i i find hilarious is of course the 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 line that is sold to the people in this country is that the puritans fleed to america to escape religious persecution the reality is they fleed to come to america to practice religious persecution <laughs> because they were nasty they're really really nasty and um you know it's all in how you sell that uh that line in the history books but yeah not not good so sure absolutely they persecuted anybody that didn't go to church three times a day you know they whipped people who didn't go to church three times a day in their own groups they they were they were nasty and um so sure these people were uh probably persecuted <laughs> as as a lot of a lot of people were for right or wrong reasons just whatever we don't agree with you you're a witch but yeah so this would i don't think this would have this might have worked in california because california is kind of treated in in the x-files as where the crazies went the new age crazies but you know yeah it 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 makes more sense to have this entrenched town in in new england um that that's where i would expect to find those things um i mean another another kind of thing that i guess probably is a fair reflection of the show i mean in fact i'm sure it is a fair reflection of the show but which you you sometimes well i sometimes still i haven't haven't watched an episode for a few (laughs) months and so a little kind of shock watching it the x-files is dark i mean i remember the fact that it can be very funny we've talked about the fact that this episode is very funny we've talked about the elements of horror and fantasy and all the rest of it the scene where the girl is describing the abuse that is there you know whether whether it's the abuse that really happened or the abuse that has been implanted in her mind is is i mean obviously it's it's her description of it we're not seeing anything but it's still graphic and it's the kind of thing that makes me think oh i'm watching special victims unit not you know slightly escapist sci-fi and it still didn't contain any actual graphic terms it wasn't necessary it made me do things in the car or yeah they would have us do things to them or you know but not not what you would expect i think now where you would probably get a little bit more details and it's highly effective. Well, well, I, you, you might. Get, She's embarrassed. Might get, she doesn't want to say it. Yeah, you might get. You might get more prompting, or she, she might be pushed into giving more explicit details by the detectives. Do you mean oral sex? I want to write this down. Yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yes, and you know that's another thing that we should bring out: false memories, the satanic panic in the eighties and nineties. There was this, well, first off, there was indeed the the satanic panic, if you will, 
where people were believing that these cults, the FBI did conclude that there's really nothing to that. But there is also uh, a body of evidence now that says a lot of people were creating false memories in therapy, in hypnotism, uh, under under leading questioning by uh, investigators, and that lots of people's lives were ruined. Um, and, you know, I found several cases, but we can just start. In 1988, a daycare worker was sentenced to 47 years for abusing 20, year, 20 children based on recovered memories. But was it? this was overturned in 1993 because... They looked at the evidence and basically the interview techniques were highly suggestive. They are getting, whether they know it or not, they're, they're getting these people to cough up things that didn't really happen. And which is not to say that all cases of sexual abuse are re false recovered memories, but simply that they ruined a lot of people's lives without the rigor that was needed when they were taking this kind of testimony and and using these things, well, I didn't remember them, but then it turned out, oh yeah, now I do. Now that you mention it, I do remember being abused kind of thing. And it's being turned on its head here. What I don't know is, is it, are Morgan and Wong, I guess by 1995, the tide had turned. So I guess it makes, they are saying, well, we know that they're implanted fake memories, but at the same time, they're you know, making a statement about this. Th there have been a lot of instances in the X-Files prior to this where Mulder uses hypnotic regression, which, you know, is the worst of the things for implanting false memories. Um, so, you know, they don't get off scot-free for bringing up the fact that, you know, these memories aren't real, but because they definitely, you know, perpetrated people believing that that's a thing. I mean, you could definitely walk out of the X-Files as a TV series and believe hypnotism is not a charlatan trick when it comes to recovering past lives and stuff. Because Yeah, they, but I, I, I depends how you use it. I mean, you could walk out of the X-Files believing that little gray aliens are a thing. I, I, I think it depends how you use it. And I think one of the issues with this is that by, put, by putting in a scenario into a kind of episode of an entertainment like this where it's not central to the or where you're not dealing with the issues around it right it's 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 driving other stuff the the risk is that you suggest that when you know a 15 year old girl reports the sexual abuse that she has experienced people will then go ah oh, implanted memories or whatever and i'm not saying that this is an example of their being irresponsible because actually, I think the, 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 the kind of scenario that is described is fairly even-handed in the sense that there is abuse, but it's not nearly as serious as what yeah. she is describing, what she is remembering based on the, the memories that have been implanted in her head. So it, 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 it's, it's not as kind of clear-cut or dismissive, I guess, as it would be if it was just a, ca a case of all of this was a complete fiction. Yeah. But it is, but the idea of these uh, covered memories is linked in many cases to this whole satanic cult practices, because that's, that's what a lot of the, the, the 
questioners and the interviewers actually led them into the, the, that the ocean. So it, it is it is tied up with the fact it, it's amusingly tied up with the fact that the the perception is that there are these cults which form these ceremonies, but they don't really because it's all made up in their mind because of all the pop culture. But in fact, in this episode, they are, in fact, children who have had these rituals performed upon them, just not what they are. And then the case of the implanted memory is is not coming is not coming from pop culture or the media or <laughs> it's actually coming from a zazzle. <laughs> so it, yeah, it really is being planted there. It is the devil's uh, like it, it's just again, it's just such a neat package that they've tied this thing up in that I I really appreciate it. And it makes me sad to have to point out the worst boo-boo probably in X-Files history. Do you know what that one is? What? No. In this episode, water does drain anti-clockwise in the Northern Hemisphere. They got oh, it exactly man. backwards. <laughs> oh, no. I didn't it's even exactly occur to, me to think about that. <laughs> yep. So, and the weird. <laughs> so, to put this for context, in case you want to look this up, because you will see lots of debate online. But basically, the Coriolis effect is caused because the Earth is rotating, and the closer you are to the pole, the the slower you're moving. And when water is being moved in such a way, it causes some of the water to move faster and because of that the the water twists and in the northern hemisphere it is twisting anti-clockwise that's why if you take a look at a picture of a hurricane in the northern hemisphere it's always anti-clockwise and if you're looking at one in the southern hemisphere it's always clockwise but when people go well the the, the sink drains this way and the bathtub drains that is not true because the design of the tub or the faucet or the sink or just the direction the water has been imported, imparted by whatever forces are going on that are much greater than the Coriolis effect are what create the vortex and cause it to go down. So it, it can go either way. It's, it's not, it's not, you have to, you have to control very tightly. Um, there's a, there's a video out there. You can probably find it on a Smarter Everyday YouTube channel and I and and or Veritasium. Those are two science YouTubers that are ones in the northern hemisphere and one in the southern hemisphere. And they did a video where they conducted the same experiment in both hemispheres uh, with the same controls. And uh, they were able to make that. You know, they were able. Okay, well, it does in fact actually. If you make sure the water is still and you make sure the drain is coming from the bottom and there's no other external forces and whatnot it, it does indeed work with a drain but otherwise you can't you can't guarantee so my guess is is that they had a drinking fountain they they turned on the water it it went down clockwise and they said oh well we need to make this go backwards so they developed some sort of intricate rig to force a drinking fountain to swirl the water the other way because you can tell it's you can tell it's being swirled because of the way it's sloshing it, it is it is a it bad shot. It doesn't look natural. It is a bad it's shot. It's a bad shot. I mean, and it's it, it it the the idea, and obviously it could it could have been executed correctly if they had used 
Mulder's green screen to look up the Coriolis effect from the internet and find out which way it should go, they could have got it right. They could have got that shot looking a lot more convincing. Or even they could have done it without a shot of the water, because in the end, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that Mulder is saying the water is going the wrong way. There is some kind of other elemental force at work here. And I thought that was very effective. Yeah, it, it's a, it's fantastic, except for that. <laughs> except for getting it completely wrong. And they double down on it, too, with Scully going, that's impossible. Yeah. It's like, actually, it's not impossible, even yeah. without satanic influences. Yeah, yeah. But, okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a nice one. And I think that one probably cemented that in a lot of people's minds, too. Uh, you know, so, oh, yeah, well, I remember seeing on somewhere that... Uh, and I have trouble remembering it, which one is which. I had to I had to I had to double check because just because somebody says it's wrong on the internet, that's that's what because a what? lot of people who what genuinely the internet for a lot of people Whatever's who genuinely tried internet, to conduct the experiments get it get it wrong because they don't control for everything. So there's a lot of people out there going, No, no, it's, it's this way, it's that way, it's the other way. And you have to you have to really go look at it. but hurricanes are the easiest way to spot it because that is a naturally occurring phenomena that they just don't sure. you can't get a hurricane to cross the equator a tornado they'll, they'll a tornado would work too those i think those are a lot harder to get a picture from space of though oh do but, hurricane well if you go far enough into space oh yeah i sent you a picture earlier today of one in the northern hemisphere and one in the southern okay now i understand your picture <laughs> i'm gonna put that on the post for this for this episode uh, when it goes out, um, that is oh, that's that's where Eye of the Storm comes from. Yep, yep. But like I say, they can't cross the equator because the the it breaks down. It will break them down. You, you just you don't see them around the equator. You see them in the north and you see them in the south, but you don't. Um, they they don't get the they don't get the rotational motion that they need as they approach uh, to form down there. I should say. The other thing I thought uh, we should mention the snake scene. Fantastic scene. Yeah. Uh, apparently, the actor was so terrified of snakes that That's he cool. couldn't recite his lines, and so they cut some lines out. Don't know what they were, but he just couldn't say them. Um, but very important, even a satanic snake should not start eating someone from one foot because you are only going to get as far as their crotch before you run into a problem. <laughs> I think they go head first for that reason uh, on when they're they're normally eating but uh still fantastic fantastic scene i had forgotten that his skeleton was lying there afterwards but i appreciate how well they just dismissed the whole thing by scully saying it would take hours to consume a human and and weeks to digest them and then we just go yeah but you know satan <laughs> yeah yeah here just yeah, man this is this is not a Watch real me yeah, sleep like Satan. Okay, we're good. The thing that the thing that struck me about that scene, and it's it's not necessarily a flaw in any sense in the episode. Well, I don't. Well, I don't know. I mean, this may this may be a cultural difference, or it may be a it may be a bit of writing that doesn't doesn't quite gel. But it's the fact that if this were a British show about British law enforcement and there was 
a police officer who had a prisoner in their custody, they wouldn't do what Maldives did. No, they would not. Because because once they're in custody, you have a responsibility for their safety. And it's not necessarily, I guess it's not necessarily that you wouldn't do what Malda did because in a, um, well, I guess you wouldn't do what Malda did. I was going to say, in a sense, there is a, a an emergency, a kind of unusual situation in that he has to go and see what's happened <laughs> to Scully. But I, I, I think the the answer would be that you wouldn't, you wouldn't let you would just let the prisoner go. That would that would that would be what what you would do. And certainly, if a prisoner had died in your custody, there would be questions to be answered. Like it just gets forgotten in this episode, and I think that's that that's the kind of that's the kind of bit that doesn't quite gel. I can see why that this whole setup is a convenience around needing to trap the guy in the in the cell of snakes come along. But yeah. then you've got to deal with the consequences, and the consequences are what about Mulder's responsibility? If if he had been in the basement and the guy was confessing and suddenly Scully was in the attic and she screamed help then absolutely I can absolutely see him clap the cuffs on him and slap the guy to a post and run up to help Scully well no I'd say if if he'd already cuffed him but then he wouldn't have a reason to cuff him so you know I think I I don't know I think part of the problem is that we do have this whole dimension to the X-Files which is part of why the show works that they are FBI officers and they are part of the recognizable FBI and you could take the all of the kind of supernatural stuff out of it and it would be it would look a bit like other cop shows on the telly um there's there's a there's a kind of grounded realism is maybe over over stretching it but there's a kind of groundedness <laughs> to to the show that comes from because because that's that's what's so entertaining about it is this it's this kind of marriage of the mundane and the fantastical but the but that but that does kind of mean that you have to pay attention to the procedural aspects of it and i felt that this was one thing where they didn't really pay that attention but remember the episode was all about having a snake eat a guy so yeah (laughs) that was was which is is ironic in the sense of what the what the show what the episode really about is that whole kind of satire on having the the PTA committee actually formed of satanists and you you know it's encapsulated by that pre pre-title sequence but the this the snake thing which generated everything else is the weakest aspect of the episode here's a weird one uh they're called the PTC parent teacher committee i presume committee i guess yeah yeah I have never heard that. I've heard PTAs and I've heard PTOs. I have never heard of a PTC before. No, same. In in the United States. And I think they did that on purpose. But I'm not sure. Again, there are some things in here that got named differently that I just make me feel like they just didn't want they just didn't want anybody complaining. How dare you imply PTAs or satanic or something that they oh. just like let's just let's just Skip over that. I'm First time sure, I heard I... of a PTO, I was I was shocked. I was probably already forty five before I ever heard of a PTO, and I'm like, oh, they're the members of the PTO. It's like, the hell's the PTO? 
you know, the parents and the teacher. You mean the PTA? They go, no, it's the PTO. Like, what? Why do you call it that? It's a PTO. It's like, no, it's a PTA. <laughs> it's like, that's just what it is. Stop this renaming stuff. But, uh, <laughs> I want to know how many people in this town are Azazel followers. Is it just those four and their families? Because, you know, the, I think only one of the kids that was out at the, the, the stump was the daughter or was a child of one of those four. Um, and certainly it? the one who ran away was, you know, saying the, the Hail Mary prayer, um, which I would presume the Satanists wouldn't necessarily turn to if they were. Yeah. So, you know, are these people kind of embedded in this town? Is it a small town where everybody still has to go to church? And so they have to do that anyway. The Satanists, I, I, I don't know. I, I, the cops not involved. So thinking maybe it's just these four families. I thought really it maybe sure. was just the four, but, but I, I agree. It's not clear. We should point out Mulder was, his quips were on point in this episode. The devil's music, the night Chicago died. <laughs> Frogs from the sky. Oh, their parachutes must not have opened. And <laughs> that was very 14 times. That that was fabulous. And then hide your Megadeth album, Skelly. <laughs> so I can't picture Skelly listening to Megadeth, but okay. Um But yeah. And also I think that's that's what's so spot on about it. And, and when the cops is about what do you think about the altar? And I didn't write down what Mulder said, but it's like I think with some with some bangles and a bit of varnish you would make a nice end tape. <laughs> wow. You are you are on form. Sir, you are on form. The f- Paddock is an old English word for toad. I couldn't find oh. a good entomological reference to that. Etymological. Entomological. Etymological. Which one's bugs and which one's words? Um, etymology. Oh, no, etymology. Yeah, etymology. Etymology is word. Yeah. Ent- entomology is bugs, isn't it? Bugs, yeah. Okay. Etymological. I couldn't find anything, but I found several references to it elsewhere where people were claiming that to be true it is also referenced in macbeth the witches call that name as a spirit name apparently i didn't look up my macbeth to verify that but i also found a couple references to that so and i think i'll give a pass to this one um paddock knocked out the power in the town scully's still doing her internet stuff i guess maybe she had enough battery power and if it was dial-up internet the phones were working. Right, yeah, it would be. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Okay. Cop- yeah. Line. yeah. All good. So I guess I was thinking at the time, it's like, yeah, I know it's a laptop, but still, it, you know, back then. But yeah, I guess they can get away with it. Um, Mrs. Paddock, the actor, was really well cast, mm-hmm. I thought. She's great. Yeah. I don't know. I, I really don't have, like, you know, there's not much about this episode I can, I can knock on. I think it's... I do think it's funny. I don't think it's a comedy. I never thought it was a comedy, but Morgan and Wong have redeemed themselves in my eyes after, you know, concentrated space above and beyond. They didn't write all the episodes of space above and beyond, but you know, enough of it that kind of like, maybe they're not so good. I don't know. Maybe it's the environment. You know, maybe it's the, the collegial group of people working on the X-Files together rose their game i don't know but do you have anything else on this one no i think i think that's it all right well i mean 
thanks for joining us, folks, with our, our look at the X-Files. That was it. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we'll we'll find another one someday for an appropriate purpose. Like when aliens finally make themselves known on Earth or something. Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, as always. I'm listeners. I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash Fusion Patrol or patreon.com slash Fusion Patrol. For our monthly Patreon subscribers, we're currently running a special series on Babylon 5. Come join the conversation and find other content at FusionPatrol.com. And we're back on social media, where you can also follow us on Mastodon and the Fediverse. Our address is at podcast at FusionPatrol.com. Our music is The Truth Is Out There by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. On the next episode of Fusion Patrol, it's the two-part Space Above and Beyond episode, Hostile Visit and Choice or Chance. Come join the conversation on Fusion Patrol.